Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Exodus chapter 1 about two godly women spoken of named Sapphira and Pua. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Very much like Melchizedek, who suddenly appears on the stage of God's drama of life on earth. And what it says about Melchizedek in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3, it says that Melchizedek was without father, without mother, without descent, without having neither beginning of days nor end of life. So, you know, it's saying here that all of that is really missing in the history of Melchizedek. All of the same thing is missing in the history of these two ladies. These ladies are like Melchizedek in that for these ladies, all we have, we don't have any record of their mother, their father, their ancestry, their life before they appeared on the stage, what happens to them after they appear on the stage. But all that really doesn't matter to us. And what that also emphasizes to us about the Word of God is that this Bible, the Word of God, is selections that God has decided to pull out of history. The unimportant parts are left out. The important parts are put in there to teach us, to train us, to show us, to guide us, to instruct us, because we live on a need-to-know basis. And God says, you don't need to know what happened, but what you need to know is what's written here. And that's true for all of that. The Spirit of God has made the decision. Women of God, who like all women and men of God, come to those crucial crossroads, as they did, where they had to make their decision. And during those times, which is what's happening here, of these crucial crosswords, angels, men, women, everyone, back off and let them make their decision. And for that moment of decision, all heaven focuses on them to see, ask the question, what's your decision? And in this case, Shifra Pua, what's your decision? Very important. It reminds us of how everyone in their lifetime comes to a decision point, really the same. Will you honor God by giving yourself to God Or will you despise God? Those are the two crossroads. There's the road of honoring God. There's a road of despising God. And man stands then at the crossroad and has to make his decision. Which road will you go down? If a person, any person, cries out to God, God will turn heaven and earth upside down to bring that person to the Lord Jesus Christ so that he can make that all-important salvation decision. To go down the road to honor God by giving his life to the Lord Jesus Christ and rank himself among the many who chose to honor God? Or will he at that decision point make the wrong decision and choose to go down the road of despising God and rank himself among the many who chose to despise God and, as it says in Isaiah 53, esteem him not. And all heaven at that crossroad holds their breath to see what will each person decide on his own. And when anyone decides to honor God as these women did, that decision is noted in heaven as we have it noted here. And though their names are not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, 
They are brought out for us here in full brilliance as examples. This is the only time that we see them on God's stage of human history. And it means that these two women of God were like Esther. She also had her momentous time in human history. And for that time, what happened? She was encouraged by her cousin Mordecai. She was encouraged, almost like someone was standing in the backstage and quietly able to be heard by the actor, by Esther herself, encouraged her. Mordecai, in essence, was saying to Esther, go on, Esther, go on, Esther, go down in history as the woman of God who saved the people of God from King Ahasuerus's evil decree to kill the Jewish people. And the words we have in Esther 4.14 is he said, Esther, Esther, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth, psst, who knoweth, Esther, whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? What Mordecai told Esther at that time applies to these Hebrew midwives. He said, go on, go down in history, make your good decision. Because number one, God calls a person to honor him by obeying him. God's program will not fail because a person chooses not to honor God and obey him. And if the person fails and chooses not, that person will personally suffer for it. But God's calling is an opportunity for a certain time. And so during that time of opportunity, there must be for the person no second guessing, no hesitation, but an immediate response with the will to go on, honor God, obey him. And that's what we see these two women doing. Because they were brought into such a time, into the kingdom, for such a time as this. Now, as far as for the Jewish people go, life couldn't have been much harder. It was getting harder and harder and harder for the Jewish people. But God was using the hardness of this and the afflictions to grow them, as we've seen. And it illustrates for us the more and more issue of verse 12, really illustrates for us another very important principle in life. When the good life for the Jewish people in the land of Goshen suddenly became ruined and suddenly became the horrible life for the Jewish people in the land of Goshen, we can imagine how the Jewish people reacted at that time. Two words. Why, God? Why did you allow all this to happen to us? Why did you allow our paradise to become ruined? Why did you allow the Egyptians to turn against us? Where was God when the Egyptians turned against us? Why did you allow our peaceful, our wonderful lives to become shattered? Why did you allow us to become slaves? Why did you allow the Egyptian people for their hatred to just become without a foundation, without a basis, just to become stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger against us? Why did you allow this hatred for no reason to 
blossom and make our lives miserable. Why, God? And why did God allow this to happen to the Jewish people? And why does God allow us to have terrible things occur to us in life? Why? Because God has a program to develop his people in life. And in fact, the whole history of the Jewish people up to this point gives us an understanding. It gives us an enlightenment of God's goal, God's desire, God's care. First, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens? We are saved. And God does great things for us. We're saved. We look back on life. We see how God has protected us. And we experience during that time, just after we're saved, kind of a honeymoon period. It's wonderful. It's just like when the Jewish people were reconciled to their brother Joseph, and they settled, and he caused them, Joseph caused them, to settle in the best of the land of Egypt, the land of Goshen. And life was good. Life was very good for the Jewish people, and the people multiplied and were treated very well by the Egyptians. And we can imagine the Jewish people saying, not bad, not bad, life's very good, life couldn't be better, it's nice here, we're in the best of the land, thank you very much to the Egyptian people. You know, I remember right after I was saved, and it seemed like the world just changed overnight. I remember some of my enemies that worked there. All of a sudden, they became my friends. And I thought, this is not bad. Life got easier. The Christian life is not bad. It's not bad at all. I felt I was on easy street. But God is too good to leave Israel on easy street and let Goshen in Egypt become heaven for the Jewish people. And God is too good to leave us on easy street and let earth become heaven for us as believers. The lap of luxury on earth is a dangerous, dangerous place for the people of God. God knows that the sight of our face is like a magnet for the pillow of luxury. He knows that. And he knew, God knew, that if life continued like that, it would be a disaster. Why? Because we look for the soft pillow. We like the cool drink. We love the San Diego weather. I remember when I was in my 20s, I just felt like Superman. I felt like I was ready for any challenge. I started Scanabody's Laboratory. I can't even imagine doing now at that time when I was 25. At that time, I was really feeling my oats. $130 is all we had for investment. No problem. We'll start the company with $130, ready to tackle whatever challenge came my way, established to establish this new goat antibody business. Buy some property that's almost vertical up and down with rocks all over the place. No problem. We'll make it all work. We moved our family from the city out to this really terrible lot in the country. We put 300 goats all around our house and really amounted to one acre of, of hillside land in case you don't don't know one acre of, of hillside land for both the family house and 300 goats is a little crowded but we would make it happen we would just make it happen we would with brute force and youthful perseverance no problem the problem is is that with each decade of life i was losing that feeling of the oats and as time went on i was feeling less like superman and more like invalid man and i remember one very exhausting business trip that taken in Japan. 
And those days in the business trip in Japan, they started at 3 a.m. in the morning with the company back in San Diego on the phone, going through all the problems and so forth and everything that's happening and discussing it, starting 3 a.m. in the morning and, and going on to about 7 a.m. and then finally starting off the day and crisscrossing the country of Japan from one business meeting to another and ending with a business dinner for the day. It was absolutely grueling. And at the end of this particular trip, I was... An understatement would have been to have said, I was exhausted. I was more than exhausted. I was practically dead. And my wife and I, she wasn't on the trip, but we decided to meet each other on the way back in Honolulu, Hawaii. We're going to take a rest. And I remember being on the flight to Tokyo to Honolulu. And I was so tired, I could barely walk. And I was anticipating the paradise of being in Hawaii after such an exhaustion. And I remember as the plane started its descent and you could see those white caps on that beautiful turquoise blue water and the sky was so blue and those patches of white clouds being blown by the wind and passing, you could see them. And I remember looking down on the water and seeing the shadows pass along the surface of the water as the clouds were being blown. And as I was watching from the window, the island of Oahu appeared. And as Hawaii was getting nearer, heaven was becoming less near and more distant. And as the plane approached Hawaii, heaven was becoming less real and more religious. And as anticipation mounted for me to be in Hawaii, heaven was becoming less actual and more academic. And after meeting up with my wife and we got settled in the hotel and I remember just lying around, that's all I could do, I was so tired, just lying around the pool and the thought came to me, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful to just live over here? Wouldn't it be wonderful to live here with no business? Wouldn't it be wonderful to live here with no employees? Wouldn't it be wonderful to live here with no deadlines, with no appointments, with no schedules? Wouldn't it be wonderful to live here with no stress and no problems? And those thoughts just became like a preoccupation for me, sort of percolating in my mind. And those thoughts became enjoyable, daydreams. They became enjoyable. My wife and I would take these walks. We walk along the beach. We walk in the city. And then something began to disturb those enjoyable daydreams. I began to become increasingly aware, increasingly impressed with all the sexual immorality that was around. I began to see more clearly the open prostitution there in, in Honolulu. I began to become more aware of the unmarried couples traveling and speaking about their unmarried, so to speak, relationship without shame. I began to hear more the uninhibited profanity, the loud taking of the Lord's name in vain. And all of this just seemed to accost, and it took more and more center stage around me. And as I was becoming more and more aggravated with the realization that paradise was becoming ruined, and I remember the day when we were going to leave Hawaii, and I remember waking up that morning and lying there in bed and thinking, 
today we have to leave Hawaii. And I didn't want to get out of bed. And I was feeling torn. And on one hand, I didn't want to leave Hawaii. And on the other hand, I felt repulsed by the sin of Hawaii and aggravated with just the picture that was developing of a paradise ruined. And I'm in that state and I'm asking and I'm thinking what is going on and I'm looking to God and I remember a verse, a verse that I had memorized in the past that just came to my mind. It was like a light went on. And that morning in that bed, it seemed to me that it was written in the Bible just for me at that time in that bed. And that verse couldn't have been more directly to me from the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was a verse written to the Jewish people, actually, in Micah 2, verse 10. And the verse reads, Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It will destroy you even with a sword destruction. So there I was lying in the bed, not wanting to get up, not wanting to leave Hawaii, and God speaks to me from that verse, Arise ye and depart. And I remember sitting around the pool and the memories and wanting to retire in Hawaii and so forth, and that part of that verse just came to me. This is not your rest. And I remember it again, how aggravated I was by all the sin in Hawaii, and God spoke to me, it is polluted. And I remember thinking that maybe I could just not be affected by all that sin, and I could just enjoy, and God spoke to me through that verse, it shall destroy you, even with the sword destruction. And as I lie there in the bed with my thoughts, it was as if the Lord had said to me, Hawaii has been for you a little rest along the way, but now your temporary rest is over. It's time for you to press on. Press on, weary soldier. Hawaii is not your final home. Heaven is, and it will be better than Hawaii because there's no sin in heaven. No sin. And as I thought about that verse, heaven, which had become distant, was now again near. And heaven, which had become religious, was now again real. And heaven, which had become academic, was now more actual. So God allowed that great change in me in order to see this. And it's the same reason why God allowed this great change in attitude of the Egyptian people to be against the Jewish people. And so that's the reason why. You know, when you think of the city of Sodom, Sodom, of course, what comes to our mind? Oh, it's a place of sin. It's a place of open, unashamed, aggressive homosexuality. It was. But that was a place where Abraham's nephew, Lot, we was found there. And it was describes to us in the New Testament that as far as how Lot felt in the city of Sodom, it says there that Lot's soul was vexed. And that's the word. It was vexed. It was a place where he lost really morally his daughters. It corrupted his daughters. He lost his wife who eventually, when they were being taken out, could not agree with God that Sodom had to be run from. And she turned back and became a pillar of salt. So we think of Sodom as a terrible place. So if Sodom was such a terrible place, how was Lot drawn into Sodom? His soul was vexed with all of the sin in that city. But what was it about Sodom that drew him there? 
It's a verse tucked away in Genesis 13, 10, and it says something very significant, and it says this, And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar. So Lot was drawn into Sodom because it was a beautiful place. It's described as the place which is called, even as the garden of the Lord. What's the garden of the Lord? The garden of the Lord is the garden of Eden because it says there that God in Eden planted a garden for Adam. That was the garden of the Lord. So it says here that Sodom was like the garden of Eden. It was beautiful. And then it describes Sodom. It says, like the land of Egypt as thou comest unto Zoar. So in other words, it's like Goshen, where the Jewish people are found. So it was a beautiful place. It was like the Garden of Eden. It was like a paradise. It was like Hawaii, Sodom was. But Sodom was also a place of paradise ruined. It was like Hawaii, a place where there was rampant also in Sodom that was terrible. It was a corrupting place. So why did God allow the Egyptian to put the Israelites into slavery? Why did God allow this hatred to the Jewish people to so thrive and blossom as to make the lives of the Jewish people miserable? When Israel was put into slavery, Goshen, the paradise, was ruined. It was ruined. And God loves Israel too much to let them think that Goshen could become their heaven. God gave an example to Israel of how much he loved them because he described to them the danger that could happen to them and can happen to us when he made a description about the people of Moab, which God did in Jeremiah 48, 11. And God described Moab like this. Moab hath been at ease from his youth, and he hath settled on his lees, and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remained in him, and his scent is not changed. God said that Moab lived a life of ease. Moab was on easy street. Moab never went into captivity like Israel went into the Babylonian captivity. And as a result, Moab is likened to wine. And the analogy that God uses for Moab is that of wine that is fermenting. And evidently, wine develops its strongest flavor or its taste when it's just left alone when it's just not agitated. And that's called, in this verse, settling on its lees. When wine is left to settle on its lees, the fermentation process develops in the strongest flavor, the strongest taste when wine is left to settle on its lees. And wine loses its flavor or its taste when it is not left alone and when it is agitated and especially when wine is poured from one vessel to the other vessel. And God said that Moab is like a wine that was never agitated. It's like a wine that was never poured from vessel to vessel. 
and therefore Moab, like a wine, developed its strongest taste or its strongest flavor. What's that mean? Developed its own strongest taste or strongest flavor. You know, Paul said in Romans seven eighteen, he said, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul used the present tense of that verb to dwell. Paul was saying that dwelling in me presently, right now, dwelling in me, dwells in me right now, right then and there, he said, was no good thing. Paul was not saying that before I was a believer, in me dwelt no good thing. He wasn't saying that. He was saying that after I am now the Apostle Paul and leading the church in writing and teaching and instructing, he said, dwelling in me right now at this moment, sin, and that is no good thing. That's what he was saying. And that's what he's really teaching us, that sin dwells in us today as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a lost Jewish person, a friend, a relative that you know of that needs to be reached with the gospel? Call us today at Israel Restoration Ministries and the Friendship with God radio program so that we can help you to get a Tom Cantor DVD or testimony booklet into their hands. Millions of people have received this copy and watched Tom Cantor's testimony and video and received Christ as Savior. Please call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or you can go to friendshipwithgod.org to learn more. That's friendshipwithgod.org to learn more. You can also call us or go to our website to order materials online by Tom Cantor, including our monthly resource called Understanding the Jewish Messiah and the History of the Jewish People as Seen in the Life of Joseph. Order this monthly resource and book by calling us today, 1-800-247-3051.